morning again, everyone. It's really a pleasure to be here. If you're new to this church, you might not know this is Jack Rogan right here leading worship. And I mentioned Jack because I've known Jack since he was 13 years old. Jack was a young man uh, at my church in Austin, even before I came to that church. And so the church's name is All Saints, so All Saints in many ways is invading, invading Santa Barbara this morning in, in this church, which is really fun. I texted his dad and told him it'd be the two of us up here this morning. Alyssa, my wife, and I really have enjoyed our time this week. We have some friends who have a condo on Shoreline Drive right there by the, the hill that goes down. And it's been delightful to be able to be there this week. Earlier in the week, we were sitting there in the room in the condo, had the, the sliding glass doors open, and we heard clump, 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 clump. And Alyssa immediately said, Tim, there are horses outside. It must be the police who are, are walking horses along shoreline. You know, and so we ran over to the window, and the clump, clump, clump was not horses. Can you guess what they were? It was a skateboard going down the hill just to show you the difference between Santa Barbara and some Texans' expectation of what's happening. When we hear clump, apparently we think of horses, not skateboards, but it has been a really fun week. And what I spoke on last week, I'm going to continue on this week in this study of Genesis. One of the most famous scenes in all of literature is... Hamlet's soliloquy where he says to be or not to be. I'm I'm sure you're at least vaguely familiar with that. And that part and those lines are so well known that the words immediately before that are often not recognized for how profound they are. Polonius, who is the father of Ophelia, and Ophelia is Hamlet's love interest, he wants to spy on Hamlet. And so he gives his daughter a Bible, actually a prayer book, and, and he says to her, pretend to pray. Actually, what he says is, "'Tis too much proved that with devotion's visage and pious action, we do sugar over the devil himself." In other words, if you pretend to pray, Hamlet won't know that you're trying to spy on him. And then, immediately after that, King Claudius speaks. And Claudius is the main guy in the play. He's the king who has murdered his brother and married his brother's wife and become king. And his brother was Hamlet's father. So he not only stole his brother's throne, he stole Hamlet's throne as well. And immediately after Polonius tells his daughter Ophelia to pretend to pray, this is what Claudius says to himself. He says, How smart a lash that speech does give my conscience. The harlot's cheek, beautied with plastering art, is not more ugly to the thing that helps it than is my deed to my most painted word. O heavy burden. In other words, his life is like a prostitute's pockmarked face that's tried to be covered up with cheap makeup because he has so many skeletons in his closet that weigh heavy upon him because he's stolen everything from his brother. He's robbed him of his life, of his throne, of his family, of his marriage, of everything. And this story that was just read from Genesis 27 is very similar. Because here we have two brothers, twins in fact. One just a few moments older than the other. One poised to inherit everything. Enough money, enough status to live like a king. But then the younger brother steals the blessing. That's what our text calls it, the blessing. If you heard during the reading, this word bless was repeated time and time again. 
And just like Hamlet, this story ends tragically. Everybody's lives devastated. And what I want for us to ask this morning of ourselves and of this text is what will we do for blessing? To what depths, to what lengths will we go in order to gain what Jacob here grasps at? So three points this morning. The first point is opposition. Now, there's, there's much opposition here in this passage. This, this story of Esau and Jacob is a part of the much larger story of Genesis. My church there in Austin, All Saints, we're, we're preaching through all of these, these family stories here throughout this book. And just for a quick summary of the book of Genesis, I want you to know that in Genesis 1 through 11, the, the story gets darker and darker and darker. The human race is spiraling downward all the way until Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, God shows up and he comes to one man, this man named Abram, whose, life, or whose name will eventually be changed to Abraham. And he basically says to him, I'm going to save the world and the human race through you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you about myself and you're going to teach your family about me and about my ways, and they're going to be a unique people, a people of peace, a people of justice in this world. In fact, they're going to be a light to the nations, and through you and through your family, I am going to call all of the nations out of this darkness and back to myself. And the way that I'm going to do that, God tells him, is through fulfilling this promise that I spoke of last Sunday in my sermon, this, this promise that's in Genesis chapter 3, 17, which is where God speaks to the serpent And he says, I'm going to undo everything that you've done through one man who is going to be born of a woman. One seed, there's going to be an offspring or a seed of Eve. And through that one man, all of that which you have done, all sin, all brokenness, all death, all evil, all injustice is going to be undone. And here, God comes to Abraham and says, it's going to come through you. And so in every generation... We have this question that's implicit in all of the texts of Genesis, which is, if there's more than one son, which son carries the seed? Through which son, through which family line will this Savior, this Messiah come? And so here in chapter 27, we have two sons. We have Jacob and we have Esau. And the question is, which one is the Messiah, the promised one, the son of promise going to come through? And I tell you all of that just to help us understand what the Scriptures speak of when they speak of blessing, because what we think of as blessing, what the Scriptures speak of, are very, very different. Austin, Texas, as I said last year, someone reminded me of that this morning, that it's a, it's a, it's a, a red, or I'm sorry, a blue dot in a red sea, but it's still a part of the South. And we still say things like y'all there. Does Kyle say y'all? He's from Memphis, you know that. Does he say, does he use that word? Has he lost it entirely? He's lost it Poor man, he's given it up. But we still say things in Austin like, oh, bless her heart. And we say that right before we're going to say something really mean about that person. Blessing, I think not only in Austin, but everywhere, essentially for us, it's warm and happy feelings. So if somebody's kind to us, if they do something that's helpful or nice to us, then it creates warm, happy feelings. And we say things like, they've truly been a blessing to us. Warm and happy feelings. But that is not what is spoken of here. The blessing is something that once it's been given, it's irrevocable. Did you notice that? Then as soon as it's stolen, Isaac can't get it back. He can't give it back, take it back from Jacob and give it to Esau. So it's something very different than what we think of. In verse 4 in this passage, Isaac tells Esau that he's about to die. He says, I don't know how much longer that I have, but I want to eat one last great meal with you and I want to bless you. 
What he's saying is, I want to formally designate you as the one through whom the promise comes. I want to designate you as the son who carries the seed. The problem with that is that Isaac knows that it's not Esau. He knows that it's not Esau who carries the seed, who's the son of promise, but it's Jacob. Because while his wife was pregnant with these two boys, the prophet of the Lord, the Lord spoke through the prophet and told them, it's not going to be Esau, it's going to be Jacob. So he knows here that he is opposing the very will and the word and the very choice of God. The question is, why? Why is he willing and ready to oppose God and God's choice of Jacob? Well, part of that is, is what it's meant by blessing. Let me tell you very simply what blessing is here. It's two things. It's inheritance and it's presence. Inheritance in the sense of all earthly goods and wealth, everything that's necessary for success in this world, that's what blessing means, but also presence, heavenly presence, the presence, the active working of God in and through someone. And that is what he wanted Esau to have because Esau was his favorite. Esau wasn't just his favorite. Esau was the world's favorite because he was big and he was strong and he was masculine. If you picked it up, we didn't read the entire story, but if you picked up on some of it, he was hairy. He had all sorts of testosterone flowing through his body. He was a great hunter. If he was alive today in this day and age, he, he would be the star athlete. He would be the kid that goes through puberty at like age 10 and by seventh grade is shaving and all the little boys would follow after him like puppies and all the little girls would fawn after him. That's who Esau was. Alyssa and I recently, we saw lots of movies this week because we didn't have our children here, but we, we recently saw Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson, who I think of as Hermione. But Beauty and the Beast, as we were sitting there watching it, there's that song that Gaston, you know, Gaston is sung about and he sings. And, and the world loves Gaston because Gaston's just like Esau. And you know the song, no one's slick as Gaston, no one's quick as Gaston, no one's necks as incredibly thick as Gaston, no one's got such a clever cleft in his chin like Gaston. The world loves Gastons, they love Esau's, and Isaac loves Esau, and he's committed to making sure he's the one that gets the inheritance and gets the blessing of the presence of God. And he knows that mysteriously, if he performs this ceremony, if he prays these particular words, and he lays his hand on his son, that somehow that blessing will be mediated to him. And God will show up. And God will indeed bless and keep his son and give him these gifts. And he is committed for it being Esau. And the question I think that we have to ask, I assume that some of y'all are parents here. Maybe your children are older, maybe your children are young. But my question that I had to ask of myself and I want for you to consider is, are we any different? Do we ever oppose God in order for our children to be blessed? Because I'm a parent, and if I'm honest, and I think about this, I recognize this in myself. I recognize that I'll willingly sacrifice everything. I will sacrifice my relationships. I will sacrifice my emotional well-being, whether I'm happy, whether I'm sad, all for my three boys' blessing in order for them to gain whatever is necessary for them to, to achieve in this world, whether it's material blessing and inheritance along those lines or whether it's spiritual vitality. I will often do anything necessary for that, and I'll worry about it. 
And I'll think about it and I'll daydream about it. And my, my money and my attention and my schedule, it will all go towards that. I'll willingly sacrifice anything that they might have that. And if that's true, if that's what I do, if that's what Isaac is doing here, if that's what we, you do, that's a form of worship. It's a form of setting our hearts upon something. And if we make our children's worldly and spiritual success our chief end, we'll destroy their futures. If we worship our children, we will ruin our children. Think about Esau here. He is brutal. He is quick-tempered and impetuous and impulsive and vindictive and violent. Why is this boy like this? Well, maybe it's because, maybe he has this insatiable hunger for immediately gained pleasures, whether food or thrill or women. Maybe he's like that because he's the kid that's never been told no. He is this child whose father has had everything and been willing to give everything to him. And so he takes and he takes and he takes animals in the field, meals in the kitchen, wife after wife after wife. Maybe he does all of this because he just believes what his father has always practiced which is that everything belongs to him. And so Isaac's worship of Esau ruins him. But think about Jacob. He's the unloved son. He's the one that that dad ignored and that dad left behind with mom when he took his older brother hunting. Jacob, he doesn't do whatever he wants to like his older brother. He does whatever his mom says to do. And he's willing to scheme and to cheat and to deceive and to manipulate in order to get that one thing that he's never had, which is his father's attention and love and favor. And so Isaac's worship of Esau ruined Jacob too, which is why Jacob does what he does here. What he does is he impersonates his brother. So the second point, impersonation. What he does here is he dresses up like his brother. And there's no question that he lies to his father here. Uh, But I want to point out to you a subtle difference in this text. In verse 19, we have Jacob's answer to his father's question of who are you. And in verse 32, which I don't think we read, but there we have Esau's answer to his father's same question, who are you? And if you go back and you look at verse 19 and you look at verse 32, it's the exact same answer, but the word order is, is shifted and turned around. And Hebrew scholars and commentators, they'll say that, that's a big deal because in Hebrew, whatever is said last, that's the emphasis. And Esau, what he says last in his answer to who he is, is his name. The last thing he said is Esau because he has a name with his father and with the world. He, he's the strong one. He's the hunter. He's the manly man. He's the one that the world loves. So he emphasizes what he's always been and what he's always been known as. He's Esau. But that's not what Jacob ends with. In verse 19, Jacob says the very same thing that his brother does, but he says, I'm Esau, quickly at the front. He kind of rushes past the lie. And then he ends with saying, bless me. He ends with what he wants. The last thing that he says is, I'm your firstborn, because that's what he's always wanted to be. He's always wanted to be treated like the way that his father treated Esau. He always wanted his father's love and attention, and he's willing to do whatever it is, to lie, to scheme, to deceive in order to get that. And by saying firstborn last, he's saying, I should be the one. I should be the one that you bless. And I think we need to see ourselves in this. We need to see ourselves in this act 
as well as in this longing that Esau has because we, like him, we share in this longing and this willingness to do whatever we can in order to gain some sort of blessing from someone and from something. In other words, we willingly dress up. We willingly dress up like what the world loves to get the world to communicate to us the value and the love and the devotion that we so desperately want. Think about what Jacob does here. We didn't read everything just for the sake of time, but he makes himself look like his older brother. He acts like his older brother. He cooks the meal that his older brother always made for his father. He asks his, his mother, who's really behind this scheme, well, well, what if I have to go close and he'll feel that I'm not hairy like Esau? What we didn't read is that he, he takes the goats that he killed to make the stew and he puts them on his arms. He, he skins this, these animals and dresses up and puts them all over his body so that he won't just sound like Esau, but he'll feel like Esau and he'll smell like Esau. He changes everything about himself in order to deceive his father. He dresses up entirely like what his father loves in order to get what he's always wanted for. And I just think we do this too. That we dress up like what the world loves in order to get what it gives. And for some of us, that's why we work the jobs that we do. It's not about the work. It's about the status. It's about the paycheck. It's about what the world gives through us doing this work. It's, it's also why some of us put so much time and money and effort and worry into our physical body and our physical appearance. I thought Austin, Texas was obsessed with physical fitness and health and beauty. <laughs> My goodness. I spent several days at Core Power. Alyssa and I would do, go and work out there. It was unbelievable the amount of time and effort and attention people give to their bodies here. I wonder if it's just dressing up like what the world loves in order to get what the world gives. And because we're at church, I need to say this, and, and that is that some of us dress up like good Christians. And I said this to my church too when I preached this. And what I mean is that we, we come here and we wear a smile. And, 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 and we sit up straight and we sing the songs and we pray the prayers and, and, and we have our children sit up straight and sing the songs and pray the prayers too. And, and we do whatever it is that we think is necessary for this church and this community to accept us, even if it's not anywhere consistent with what's actually going on in our hearts and our lives. It's just like Jacob impersonating Esau. And if there's anything that this passage wants to tell us, it wants to tell us that it doesn't work that eventually dressing up like the world and what the world loves to get what it gives just doesn't work. And what we need is a realization. And that's the third point here. So opposition, impersonation, now realization. We need a realization like the one that Isaac, the dad, has here. And it's in verse 33. And there's three parts to this verse. The first part is that Isaac trembles. He realizes that he has blessed the wrong son. He begins to tremble. The text says that he, he trembled violently. But then secondly, ask a question. And so there's, there's trembling and there's fear and then there's confusion. And finally, thirdly, in this verse, there's a statement of realization. He says, yes, he, meaning Jacob, he shall be blessed. And I think in between that question mark there and, and, and that, that word yes, which other translations use the word behold or indeed, there's a major change that happens there, I think. What happens is that Isaac's opposition ends here. He has been opposing 
God's choice ever since those boys were little, and he realizes that his opposition to God, his fighting against God, it's, it has completely failed, and that there's nothing that he can do, that he has to now stop opposing God's grace and his work because his opposition has failed. And we too must end our opposition to what we know it is that the Lord is doing in our lives. That Hebrews passage which we read, there, I mentioned it earlier at the confession there in Hebrews 12, 25, where it says, do not resist. Do not see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Speaking a better word to you than the blood of Abel. I want you to consider what it is that the Lord is speaking to you this morning, that he actually is speaking to you and that he wants for you to know that it's useless to refuse and to resist him. And also that you don't have to impersonate anyone to obtain and to gain the blessing that you want and need so desperately. In that Hebrews passage, there's one other short phrase I want to point out. It's in verse 23. It's the title of my sermon. It says here that you are the assembly of the firstborn. Literally, in the original language, it says you're the church of the firstborn, the ecclesia proto Tokos, ecclesia, church, proto, first, tokos, born. You're, you're, you're the church of the firstborn. Now, how in the world can a group of people, an entire assembly or gathering of people, all of them, multiple children, all be the firstborn? How is that possible? How is it possible that we can all be the firstborn? And if you ever have a pastor like me, Kyle, or otherwise, ask you questions like that, the answer is always the same. You can never be wrong with this answer. That answer is Jesus. You never be wrong. Because eternally and ultimately, there's only one firstborn. And that's the one that we speak of as the only begotten Son, who earlier in Hebrews, the very beginning, says that he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. If you read the Gospels, at the beginning of every Gospel, Jesus gets baptized. And at that baptism, God the Father says the exact same thing. Heaven's open. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and God the Father speaks from heaven. And do you remember or do you know what he says about his son? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I think it's a perfect and a, and a beautiful version of Isaac and Esau. This is the ultimate and true father basking in the delight and satisfaction over his eternally and infinitely deserved son and giving to him and imparting to him everything that he has, all wealth, all status, all power, all position. He's giving it all, everything over to his son. It is God the father's blessing of God the son. And it's what our Genesis story ultimately points to both Esau and Isaac. These two sons, they both point us to Jesus. And if that, tr if that is true, Here's the last question. And if that's true, then who is Jesus, God the Son, dressed up like? If both Esau and, Jesus, and, 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 and Jacob point us to Jesus, who and what is Jesus dressed up like? He's dressed up like us. Because God the Son came, and He dressed up like us. He came, He dressed up, He took our very flesh, not the flesh of animals, he took our very flesh. He looked like us. He smelled like us. He was and still is us, fully and completely human, but without sin. And he died under God's curse, 
for all of our sin and deception and stealing. And and here's the difference. He didn't do that in order to steal our blessing from us. He did it in order to share his blessing of God the Father with us, to share and to give over to us everything that God the Father has already given over to him. If you believe in and you follow after Jesus, if you have been united to him by baptism and by faith, you are, you share in the blessing of the firstborn. And that means every blessing in the heavenly places, which is God the Father's and has been given over to God the Son, has been given to you. You share in the very love and delight and eternal satisfaction that God the Father has with God the Son. And also, not just heavenly blessings, but the very first thing that Jesus said when he preached is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for what? They shall inherit the earth. Everything in heaven, everything on earth has been given to Jesus, and he has come and lived and died and been raised to share it with you that we might be the church of the firstborn. So the only question left is, what more do you want? What more do you need than everything in heaven and everything upon earth? It is yours in Christ. You are the church of the firstborn, so do not resist him. Do not resist him. And and more than that, dress yourself up in him. There's a holy version of us for what Jacob does here before, before Isaac. It's called the Christian life. It's called discipleship. It's called not only believing in Jesus, but believing so much that you take his life and his ways and his words and his love upon you. And you go to the Father. You go to the God the Father in the name and the status of God the Son, and you say, bless me. Bless me because I'm your firstborn in Jesus. Heal my body. Heal my body of my sickness. Heal heal my body. End my fight with cancer. Or, or heal my relationships in my fighting with my spouse. Or calm my anxious heart. Or release lust hold over me. Or bring joy back to my life. Sweep away that undercurrent of bitterness that always seems to reside there beneath the surface of my life. Sweep that away. Give me the friends that I so desperately need in order to follow after you. Bless me, for I am your firstborn. You are. Jesus said one time in the Gospels that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you because you're the firstborn in Christ. Amen.